Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Rose Fass. She's the founder and CEO of Fast Forward Consulting Group, which is a leading-edge business transformation firm. She works with Fortune 500 executive teams on translating strategy, driving change, and growing leadership. Rose has built a career on opening new businesses in the U.S., been a general manager with full P&L responsibility, and she's led major corporate transformations. She was the chief transformation officer at Xerox, where she led the transition to the global industry and solution business, integrating acquisitions, cultures, and operating units to develop and execute the enterprise strategy. Uh, she's been a guest on a number of different uh, 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 media places, such as CNBC, quoted in several best-selling business books, and she's the author of The Chocolate Conversation, Lead Bittersweet Change and Transform Your Business. Welcome, Rose. Thank you. It's great to be here, Linda. And I have to tell you, chocolate is always one of my favorite topics. It, it's one of the basic <laughs> food groups. So I'm so thrilled to see it in business. <laughs> but tell me, what is a chocolate conversation, and how would that affect the culture of a company? So that's an interesting question, and I need to give you just a tad bit of background. Uh, what I refer to as a lot of years ago, post-college, I was invited to a BYOC, Bring Your Own Chocolate Party. I love and it. And it, it was a death by chocolate. So since you love chocolate, you would have loved to have been there. Uh, when I arrived with my killer chocolate cake, thinking I would be the absolute hit of this party, uh, I ran into some serious chocolate snobs, <laughs> and there was a huge number of uh, confections that I had never seen before. Uh, and what I learned from the experience was, while we all had chocolate in common, our standards for what chocolate really was in a situation like this was quite a bit different. And there was one woman I, I ran into, and this is just the, the genesis of the story, pin thin, you know, the kind you'd love to hate, right. pin thin, and basically said, if I'm going to eat chocolate, it has to have this percentage of Keiko. Um, I need to savor it for a very long time. And she went on and on, and this guy that was sitting next to me said, geez, you know, I'd be happy with a Snickers bar. <laughs> I love it. You're Years later, I ended up in an all-company meeting, and uh, a very complex new strategy was being delivered out to the group. It was the CEO. Um, and I noted when we were all leaving that meeting in the halls, um, people had very different interpretations of what was said as the strategy and what they needed to execute on. And I said to myself, I had a recollection of this. It was one of those aha moments, and I said, this we're having a chocolate conversation. You know, this guy's talking Snickers and somebody else wants percentage of Keiko and there's very different things going on here. How interesting. What a, what a wonderful analogy. That's yeah. great. And, of course, I'd, I'd like to have all the chocolate, the Snickers and the high-end Keiko. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what so how does this affect the culture of a company? Yeah, so this, there are, I, there, I, I've been flesh this out further, Linda. There, there are three major ingredients, if you will, uh, extend the metaphor to a chocolate conversation. And one is a worldview. And that's your 30,000-foot kind of 
vision for what you think something is. It's the word chocolate, right? It's that high level. If I say to you, would you like some chocolate, Linda? You right. say, Rose, I'd love some. Yep. And then I show up with the Snickers bar, and you're the woman that wanted that truffle. Yep. And you're very disappointed. Um, people have different standards. So there's the worldview, then there's the standards. What does that chocolate look like? And then there are concerns. You didn't get me the truffle. You gave me a Snickers bar. I'm very disappointed. So oftentimes in a culture, we will see these three ingredients creating a meltdown. You've got a worldview out there. You've got a group of people who have different standards, and then out comes the concern. And a concern is an unmet need. Mm-hmm. And either an employee or a leader or even a customer is expressing their disappointment in how you determine to define your worldview. So we often say that if you want to shape a culture where people are all on the same page having a conversation that um, they interpret the way you intended, um, you need to cover these three areas. And, and we believe you need to take a bottoms-up approach. Start with the concern you're solving for. Then kind of get some common standards around that concern. And then frame a worldview that everybody can live with. And a perfect example of that. If you look at Apple, if you look at Steve Jobs, did you ever know you needed a thousand songs in your pocket? No. No. no who, whoever knew that you could do that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So in his mind, he saw it as an implicit need. People are out exercising, they're doing this, they're doing that. Wouldn't it be great if I could take a small little device, put it in their pocket, and solve this unmet need? By doing that, he completely changed the standard for the industry and reframed everyone's worldview on music on the, on the run, music, mobile music. Um, same with the iPhone, same with the iPad. And a number of uh, Amazon has changed the way people shop because right. he took, they took a time-robbed society and said, let's solve this problem changed the industry and reframed everyone's worldview of how you do Christmas shopping. Sure. So Uber has done the same thing with transportation. Uber. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uber's done the same thing, Airbnb. Mm-hmm. So innovation. If you want an innovative culture, you've got to be thinking about things differently. You can't come up with some lofty worldview that doesn't deal with something that is either implicit or could, in fact, become the kind of thing like you saw with Uber and all that that solves a real problem that your people can get around and become part of. Zipcar, we yep. can name millions of these things. Right. In, right. in everyday life, if, if, if a leader is having a conversation with an employee and an employee comes in and they're upset about something and the leader goes right to his or her worldview, chances for that conversation to land, not very good. But if you can sit with the concern for a little while, acknowledge it, understand it, level up to, okay, what is it that you need? Get that from the employee. Set a standard you can both live by. Then you can, you can literally get to this worldview together where you reframe that person's thinking. Um, 
if I could, Linda, I'd like to give a real example that Absolutely. you'll get a kick out of. I was watching Blue Bloods. Mm-hmm. I'm like a real fan of Tom Selleck's family yep. in Blue Bloods. But he hired uh, this detective that was a salty street kind of guy to become his number one guy in headquarters. And he doesn't have all the polish and all of that stuff. But there was an incident where one of the street cops was doing something that was a little bit smarny. And Selleck said to him, I, I know you've got the backs of the police force. I want to know you have my back. Ah. And he responded and said, uh, what do you mean, boss? And he said, we have to have standards. Right. You're in this building now. You have to have standards for the lobby, and you have to have standards for up here. And he reframed that guy's thinking and changed his worldview from strictly a bottoms-up approach to also realizing the role he played and why it was important. And you see this playing out in business all the time. So that's just an example from a recent uh, episode that I saw that just hit me. That's great. I wonder if if some of the issues that we think about politics and and world issues is that we have too many people starting with this big worldview and not starting with the – um, with the concerns and the unmet needs, and then therefore they never get to the standards and unmet needs. Beautifully said. Beautifully said, Linda. I mean, if you think if we go all the way back to health care, yep. I mean, what was the goal? The goal was that every person in America would have access to affordable health care. Right. If you look at what's going on today, um, there are people that have access affordable health care, but it's become very, very expensive for others. And so the balance of what we had hoped to attain in this worldview, frankly, as you stated beautifully, the standards that were set haven't quite met the mark. Right. And this happens all the time. It's like, let's bring our boys home from the Middle East. Let's make sure everyone's safe. Let's keep homeland safe. Um, let's make sure we maintain our civil liberties, um, but at the same time, check everything and everyone. So we're living in a dichotomous world, and more importantly than ever, we have to have this bottoms-up approach. We have to start with the concern, then set the standards, then deal with the worldview. And if we had done that around health care, around safety, around a number of these things, I think the conversations would have been different. Absolutely. And we could only learn from these things moving forward. So let's go back to business. You talk about leadership happens in the conversation. What does that mean? So I think companies today, particularly leaders, spend a lot of time on process, on um, technology, on all the tangibles. You know, what can I do to make my business? I'll write a better strategy. I'll spend more time in operations reviews. I'll audit what's going on more. I'll drive people to give a better customer experience. And all of these things get put down in a documented kind of, uh, you know, for those of us who've worked in corporations, you can see it on laminated cards, you know, all kinds of things, right? Binders on, uh, you know, on on emails, it's all over the place. At the end of the day, it's what are, what are the conversations you as a leader are having that are reframing the way people think, cutting through the noise, and moving them to action. 
So we believe there are two things that a leader does with a good conversation. You reframe the way people think, and you move them to action. Everything else is noise. Yep. So all these other things are important, process reengineering, organizational restructures, plethora of communication that comes out on the you know, webinars and the emails and everything else that go on. But the real essence of what happens is how a leader is perceived by the people who are following that leader in the conversations that leader is having, whether it's on the public stage, whether it may be in a response to an email, there's always an opportunity to reframe thinking, coach, bring people around, sell an idea, clear up confusion, um, get somebody to think about something in a uniquely different way. Um, this is why I say leadership happens in the conversation. It's the conversations you have that people remember more than the things that you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, where things get started, ideas get ignited. And I love what you say about cutting through the noise. My new book is about how do you market above the noise. And if we just I love it. continue to talk and talk and talk, not only are we not heard, but we make it harder for anyone to hear anything. So sometimes you just have to be quiet and listen and then really cut through with, with a message that makes sense. Love that. So one of the things you talk about, Rose, is that leading change is bittersweet. What does that mean, and, and why is – I know you've done a lot of work on change and transformation. What have you learned from that? You know, it's you think about the first time you ever had to move. Did you ever have to move from where oh, you yeah. live? Yep. And while that change may have brought wonderful things your way, what was it like as you were experiencing Oh, it's that horrible. First, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really I mean, it's traumatic. Somebody, yeah. yeah, it's traumatic. Somebody changes my seat at the table, and I'm, like, not comfortable. <laughs> right. Um, so I do think change is bittersweet. It's very hard to say goodbye to a way of life, yep. to the things that you're used to, particularly in business today. I mean, I had a CEO say, do I really have to do this social media thing? <laughs> um, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard if, if what you experienced in your life never had to be so exposed. Um, and no matter what it is that we do, whether we're changing a strategy, we're restructuring an organization and people are going to have different positions than they had before or maybe not have those positions, um, it's very it's bittersweet. It's painful. And unfortunately, today, whether you're in business, whether you're in the public sector, even in your families, um, we, it's painful. Change is painful, and we are making them all the time, and the pace of change has grown so rapidly, and it's been accelerated. I remember when I first started in business, it was nowhere near where it is today. And I'm sure you experienced the same thing. And when yes. you talk about marketing above the noise, um, what was marketing like 20 years ago? It what was it like pretty, today. Yeah, it, I mean, we had so a, a limited number of choices. You could only do so many things. There were ways that were accepted to reach people, and you chose from what was available. And things took time, and they took money, and that was it. Today, we have many more ways to reach our audiences, but. With that choice also comes the uh, the problem that, that how everybody is, is trying to do everything to everyone, and how do you cut through all that? So there's just right. layers and layers of noise, absolutely. And and you're helping people with your book kind of alleviate the pain. 
Exactly. How do I how do I make this less painful? But it is bittersweet, and and you always hear people talk about the good old days. I used to laugh about it when my parents <laughs> did it, and then I find myself doing it. Right, right. Um, and the good old days are in every generation is that feeling of things that are flying in the face of my lived experience, and I now have to do things differently. So leaders, when I say you have to lead bittersweet change, you have to be able to lead people through that. Yes. And a lot of leaders don't. They, they, there's a lot of casualties, and I use that term lightly, leaders. These are people that are not leading. They're dragging people through it. And it's very point. painful for them and for the people. So I do think if you're really going to have a transformation, you have to lead people through the bitter and the sweet. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you see as some of the, the key challenges that businesses are struggling with today as they are in this kind of noisy, chaotic environment and trying to change and transform? Are there just a few things that you could highlight for us? Yeah. And one of the things is going to sound counterintuitive. The bigger the change, the narrower the focus. Interesting. I think streamlining, to your mm-hmm. point earlier, is the hardest thing for leaders to do today, and it's the number one essential to making it work. Yep. If you pick a few things and you realize that if you stay with those few things and you try to pick them well, um, you have a much better shot of moving through the system. When you throw so much change into a system, Linda, you paralyze that system. It's overwhelming. So that's one thing, is to figure out how to streamline. The other thing is, how do I keep it simple? Um, There's so much complexity out there. If you want to add to that, it just makes it worse. So keeping things simple, using simple language. I I call it the corporate pig Latin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talking to people in acronyms. Uh, making things sound, you know, so much more complex than they need to be. Um, I think keeping the language simple, keeping the amount of things you're doing narrow, um, message discipline, consistency of how you are speaking about something, Uh, that message discipline of knowing that I'm not saying it this way on Monday and this way on Friday. Because believe it or not, people are very literal. Yep. They need to hear it the same way, and there needs to be a consistency around what you're saying because message discipline will drive operational discipline. Absolutely. You I know, those, you. those are some of the things that, you know, uh, I read an article a, a while back about strategy as simple rules, mm-hmm. and it's the guy over at MIT that's a professor there, uh, Sol, I think his name is. But it, it really a wonderful article that really got down to the heart of if we just have some simple rules, like we're going to uh, acquire engineering companies with 70 people or less. That's, the, that's our simple rule to, uh, to bring our strategy, and this is an example that's used. And of the 70 engineers, uh, uh, 70 people that we choose, 60% of them will be engineers. These are strategy as simple rules, just putting little rules out there that help people understand what you're attempting to do. Just telling someone to go give the customer a great experience, you know, everyone's going to interpret that different. That's a chocolate conversation in the making. But what's our experience look like? What's the identity we want to put on our experience? We know what Amazon has. We know what Zipcar has or Zappos or Airbnb or Uber, 
but they all have a different identity with the experience that you have. Apple. So what's our experience look like explaining that um, to an employee? It's that kind of thing, keeping things simple and very, very much in, in the, in the uh, shape of your culture and what your culture can uh, ingest. This is fascinating, and I, I could talk about this all day. Um, I want to ask you one last question. You've been in business quite a while, as I have. What have you seen in, in terms of the role of women in business and leadership, and, and how are, uh, are women uh, driving or part of this, of this um, change, and, and how does this chocolate conversation piece fit into that? Yeah, so women, um, I mean, there are those women that still believe they're part of a man's world, and they have to be tough, and they have to operate like men do. There will always be that type of woman. There are less of those women today, and I'm really pleased to see that because I go back for many, many years when I was the only woman with one other. Right. I, I find women have the ability to collaborate. They're extremely um, open to sharing credit, which is a wonderful thing. Um, because they have a tendency to have to manage multiple things at the same time, they can, their capacity is great. Yep. Uh, so I think there's a wisdom that women bring that's unique to women. Um, and I think it's very much appreciated by men as well. And so I'm starting to see this blend, particularly in the new generation of millennials, Mm -hmm. where there is less uh, of a generation gap than there used to be. Uh, and I think that more and more women that are finding themselves in leadership positions are, are finding themselves doing things differently than perhaps the leaders they grew up under. Um, so, you know, there's still the pay discriminations and all the things that we've discrepancies uh, that get talked about, you know, and I just recently listened to a show on it. Um, it's still going on, but I think we're making some real progress. Excellent. That's great to hear, and we need to keep at it. So we've been talking to Rose Fast, and Rose has ta been talking to us about the chocolate conversation, lead bittersweet change, and transform your business. This is just fascinating, Rose. Thank you. Thank you. And okay. I look forward to reading your book. Okay, thank you. Uh, and this is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com. <laughs>